1: Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ.
2: Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And it's been, as always, an interesting week in technology. I'm going to give an update on Main Street versus Wall Street. These are the Reddit uh, stock traders that are driving the professional hedge fund operators crazy. Uh, Starlink, this is uh, the uh, inter- satellite Internet service managed by or, or, or being uh, launched by um, SpaceX, is about ready to come out of the gate with a very high-speed internet access available around the world. I'll talk about how that's going to change the competitive landscape for internet access. Uh, Apple is launching a big privacy change, and Facebook is up in arms because they make money selling all your data, and they don't like people figuring out that you can block them if you want. And if I have time, I'll get to how you can detect a hidden surveillance camera in your Airbnb or hotel room. Uh, the tip of the week, I'm going to talk about how you can discover whether your router's been hacked. That's a big problem these days, mm-hmm. and there's a simple uh, simple test. You can check whether your router is secure in about um, in about 10 seconds. I'll tell you how to do that. This week, we're going to feature the man who is CEO of Amazon Web Services, and he was tapped this month to be the CEO of Amazon in the third quarter of 2021. That would be Andrew Jassy. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. We got an email from Bob in Maryland. Dear Doc Jim and the basso profundo, Mr. Big Voice.
1: Uh, I stump- he's not saying he has a big, oh no, big voice. Oh, I got it, yeah. okay. I- I got I got <laughs> confused on ba- basso there for a second. Never basso mind.
2: Basso profundo, yes, Mr. Big Voice,
0: yes.
1: I
2: stumbled across this tool that lets people monitor whether their photos are in AI training sets being, sets being used for facial recognition. It's called Exposing AI, and it finds out and whether your images have been taken without your permission. Uh, here's I've also got another suggestion for a, a profiles in IT candidate, Percy Ludgate. He's sort of like Charles Babbage. He is an amateur Irish scientist who designed the second analytic engine, which was which uh, was at that time a general-purpose touring complete computer. Uh, it's an interesting story. Maybe you can find some information on him. Well, thanks for that uh, suggestion of profiles in IT. I looked him up. He is he did do that. Uh, There's information on uh, on Percy Ludgate is a little bit light, but his school has honored him with uh, some uh, awards, and I think I may be able to get some interesting information. There's probably something really good there. Now, as far as this tool that you mentioned, uh, Bob, exposing AI seems like a great tool if you've got a lot of photos posted on Flickr. It really focuses on Flickr. Now, this tool will actually look through all the Flickr photos that you've posted and see whether any of them are used by the AI surveillance research. You know, because they create these huge data sets and then they train their face recognition software in those huge training sets. And uh, there are about 3.5 million photos in these training sets overall. Uh, I mean, for instance, in in 2019, IBM released a data set of almost a million pictures that it had scraped from Flickr. Flickr is the main place where they go. So you can use this tool. If you've you've got a lot of photos on Flickr, you just put in your Flickr username and uh, user ID. Uh, You don't have to give your password, and they will look for any photos that are tagged back to your user account there at Flickr. You can also put in a photo, the URL of a photo, like if there's a photo that you've got, say, on Facebook or other places, you can just put the actual URL of the photo, and it will see whether that photo is used anywhere in it. Um, it, it, it may be worth doing. I think it's a great tool, and certainly nice to know if, if your images are being used for that purpose. We got an email from Susan in Alexandria. Good morning, Dr. Schertz. In your show on January 23rd, you explained how to share Wi-Fi passwords from iPhone to iPhone or from Android phone to Android phone. Now I got a question. Can you share Wi-Fi passwords from an iPhone to an Android, or can an Android phone share pictures with an iPhone? Well, Susan, it turns out that is possible. And that was actually a great question. So here's the thing. the uh, for you to uh, if you want if you've got an iPhone, and you want to share a, share a photo with an Android phone. The Android phone can actually configure the Wi-Fi connection using a QR code. And that's how they share between Android to Android. So if you're on an iPhone, you've got to create a, a QR code that has your Wi-Fi information. And it turns out that's really easy to do. There's a free app called Visual Codes. Visual Codes. It's a QR code generator. And just go to the App Store and download Visual Codes. It's free. Uh, and then when you install it on your phone, you start Visual Codes up and you can say, Add Codes. There's a button at the bottom, say, Add Codes. And then you've got choices, different kinds of codes to add. You wanna send somebody your contact information, you wanna send them a, a website link, or you wanna send them Wi Fi configuration information. Click on the Wi Fi configuration information, it's right at the bottom of the screen. And then you type in your network's SSID, that's your network name, and then you type in the password and you say create code. And it will save that QR code for you. And then what you do, you simply uh, open up the app, click on that QR code, it'll fill the screen. A person with an Android phone can simply open up their camera and they can focus on that QR code and boom, the information's transferred directly. Now... It turns out it's very easy to go from an Android to an iPhone because the iPhone can read the QR code uh, without a problem. And so you simply, in your Android phone, you simply bring up the QR code for your Wi-Fi information. Now, in this case, you don't have to type in the Wi-Fi password and SSID. You simply log into the network you want, and then you look at advanced network settings... And when you go to advanced network settings, this would be in the overall settings area. It'd be settings, internet and connection, then advanced network settings. Um, and then you simply you have something called QR code. Click on QR code, and then you'll have a QR code in the, on your Android screen that, that then uh, has all, all that information. You simply open up the QR card reader on your iPhone, look at that, and boom, it will automatically transfer the uh, network information of the iPhone. So that, that was actually a great question, and I'm thinking that's very, very convenient. And the only time that you actually have to know what the password is is if you're getting a, making a QR code on the iPhone. It doesn't take that information from your Wi-Fi connection. You actually have to put it in. That's the only disadvantage going from iPhone to Android. All the other methods that I talked about It just pulls the password right out of your iPhone. You don't even have to remember it. Great question, uh, Susan. We got an email from Jeannie in Pittsburgh. Dear Tech Talk, I recently heard you talking about power line networking. Now, my sister lives in the house right next door, and I'd like to share my Internet connection with her to save money. She's only using the Internet with her computer because she doesn't have a cell phone. My question is, can we use power line networking to connect the two houses with Internet? Well, uh, uh, Jeannie, that will not work. Powerline networking adapters only work when connected to outlets that are wired to the same electrical panel. That means your Internet signal will not go out onto the power grid and then be picked up at her house and come on in. It it just won't make it there. So um, you can't use Powerline Ethernet to connect them. On the other hand, your houses are fairly close, so you may be able to piggyback the Wi-Fi. And so what you could do, uh, you could put your Wi-Fi router near a window that faces her house to see whether you can get Wi-Fi signals there. And if you can't move the router, you could use a Wi-Fi extender that would be in that room. And then you could extend the Wi-Fi, and that would essentially be another hotspot over on that side of the house.
1: How about the trash can and, lid idea, or the tin, tin foil uh, antenna uh, dish idea you, to help yeah, re- you, reflect? Yeah, you can the...
2: actually do that. You could actually put an anten- you could actually put a, a parabolic antenna behind your uh, <laughs> Wi-Fi mm. router, and uh, and that would direct more of the signal in that direction. And you can you you can do that with just tin foil, actually. Anything anything metallic. Uh, uh, you can also get. Uh, Higher gain antennas that you can put on your router, and essentially it's just a, a taller stick. Mm-hmm. Instead of being only six inches, it might be twelve inches, and so it's a smaller stick. And uh, and you, you you can do that. I've I've done all of those. I've uh, all of those methods. But a Wi-Fi extender is like only twelve dollars, and so you can just go to her house and um uh, and, and and see whether you could get a Wi-Fi signal over at her house. And that would be great. Now, I've, you know, I've also got a, a you know, a tin can, um, you know, a, a tin can antenna. You, we could put an antenna in her house and focuses at your house, and probably get the Wi-Fi signal. if She wanted to have an external antenna to, to, um, to her system over there. And um, I've done all of those things. And you know, with the tin can antenna, uh, you can. They call you can buy them. They're called can antennas. You could you could probably pick up Wi-Fi through a window when you're, you know, half a block away because that's fairly narrow, fairly narrow beam antenna. And then you could simply attach that connection to her computer. Uh, hopefully you don't have to go through all that trouble because it looks a little suspicious with those antennas. You know, looking out your window. Yeah. Now, if she doesn't have, a, if she's got an old computer, she doesn't have Wi-Fi. You you can get a Wi-Fi, you can get a USB Wi-Fi stick. You plug in, you plug in that the USB stick into the computer, and bingo, uh, you, you, she'll have Wi-Fi. You can get some of these Wi-Fi USB sticks that you can screw off an antenna and screw on another one. And I've done that. That's how I connected my can uh-huh. to my laptop. I, I was, you know, I, this really is that this as an aside, I used to go out and scan Wi-Fi networks. I wanted to do research to see how many people had unsecure Wi-Fi networks. And so I had software on my laptop and um, and I would drive around with this antenna. Out, you know, hanging out my window, and I would go around neighborhoods, and I would focus on the houses and pick up all the Wi-Fi networks and see which ones were secured and not secured, and I would get statistics on the number of secured networks, and didn't, I'd report that on Tech Talk. It was part of my research. Didn't you get so, pulled over once doing that? I did get pulled over. This, this was, you know, you know, not not too long after 9/11, and I was going around with all this electronic gear in the front, <laughs> the front seat of the car with antennas out there, and the police pulled me over. And I had my son with me, and he, you know, I had two laptops in the car. I had all these antennas focusing all around. And the, the policeman, he was looking at us like we were pretty suspicious.
1: Uh huh. And we
2: told him what we were doing, and he reluctantly believed us and let us go. But I was pulled over without a ticket.
1: Yeah, there's we an asterisk it. there. You know, the, the power line thing, while we're talking about it, I ordered one of those uh, based on your recommendation. Comes tomorrow. We may have a product review next weekend.
2: Oh, that'd be great. I'd like to hear an actual user of a Powerline Ethernet. I'm really
1: curious to see how well this works.
2: Very good. We got an email from Kathy in Boulder. Dear Tech Talk, I have a blog and I've been writing it for over four years now. It runs on WordPress. About a month ago, I paid a guy to make updates to the blog and make it more attractive. With my permission, he he changed the theme to to a, to a, a theme that was called Divi. Divi. D V, D I V I. D-I-V-I, and uh, he only charged me $50. I love the blog now. Okay, the first tip, he only charged her $50. Uh, after he finished installing this thing, this new theme, all these posts started appearing on my blog that I didn't put on there, and they looked like I had posted them. I, I thought somebody had hacked my password, so I changed my password. I put in two-factor authentication. The blogs kept coming, and I couldn't stop them. I delete them and a few minutes later, they're back. Uh, how can I stop this? What's going on? Kathy. Well, uh, Kathy, the program you hired to update your blog probably installed a compromised copy of the Divi theme. I suspect he downloaded a bootleg bootleg copy instead of buying it. And I'm thinking the $50 price that you paid him might have been a hint. Um, so he he probably downloaded it, was compromised, and, and once he installed the Divi theme on your WordPress, all you, you know, some hackers had access to your WordPress through security holes in the Divi theme. Now, I what I'd recommend is that you deactivate this Divi theme right away. You could now there's there's a default one called 2021. It's a WordPress theme and it's free. It's built into WordPress. And that will, and if you activate that, it will automatically deactivate Divi. So what you want to do, you log on to your WordPress dashboard, click appearance, and then click themes. Then if you see the 21 theme, go ahead and activate it. If you don't see it, you can just say add new button and then search for the 2021 theme, install, and activate it. If that works and stops these bogus blogs coming in, blog entries coming in, then that means the Divi theme was the problem. So now you can either keep 2021 or install a new theme of your choosing. Uh, now, since you like the look of Divi, you can purchase a legitimate copy of Divi that doesn't have malware in it by going to Elegant Themes. And uh, But if you decide to go with the fresh version of Divi, Make certain you delete all the compromised Divi. And if you decide to stay with 2021, delete all the compromised Divi. You want to get that off your computer, and that ought to fix your problem. We got an email from Barbie in Reston. Dear Doc and Jim, I use my iPhone for work all the time, especially for sending emails. I recently discovered that all my emails have sent from my iPhone at the bottom. How can I remove this sent from my iPhone message for outgoing emails? I'd rather not tip off the recipient that I sent their email using my iPhone. Yeah, you know, so I want my boss to think I'm at work using the laptop. It's a pretty simple fix. Pretty simple yeah. fix. It's easy. That is very easy to fix. You can simply you you just change the signature block. They they just put sent from my iPhone in the signature block, uh, and then you can simply change that. So you tap settings icon, then you tap mail, then you scroll down to signature. Then using the delete button, you can, you know, delete the entire text that's sent from my email. You can add a short signature message, like your name, your position, your company, maybe a company logo, what it would, a, a company saying or motto, whatever you want down there. And then, uh, and then when you're finished, you just uh, exit the settings app. Now, every time you send an email, that signature block would put at the bottom of your email. And that will solve your problem, Barbie. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at Talk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can.
1: You are listening to Tech Talk Radio. This is Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, in Loudoun County at 104.5 FM, and southwest of Washington, you can listen to us on our big signal on 1077 FM HD 2. More about Stratford University, go to stratford.edu.
2: Andrew Jassy is an American businessman, and he's CEO of Amazon Web Services. He will replace Jeff Bezos as CEO of Amazon in the third quarter of 2021. So I thought it would be worthwhile talking about, who is this guy who's going to be taking over Amazon? Jassy was born January 13, 1968, in New York. He's Jewish with Hungarian ancestry. He grew up in Scarsdale, New York, and attended Scarsdale High School. Now, he went to Harvard, and he graduated with a bachelor's with honors. Where he uh, And while he was attending Harvard, he was advertising manage, manager for the Harvard Crimson. That's the um, Harvard newspaper that the students produce. After receiving his bachelor's degree, he worked as a project manager for a collectibles company. I guess they make collectible memorabilia, MBI. He worked there for uh, you know a, good, a few years. Then he and an MBI colleague decided, hey, we're going to start our own company. So he, um, he quit MBI, and they started their own company, which I couldn't find out the name of the company that he started because it closed down so quickly. <laughs> it was started and closed down almost immediately. Then he decided, okay, I think I'll go back to school. So five years after getting his bachelor's degree, he returned to Harvard and got an MBA. And he completed his MBA in 1997, and that year he joined Amazon with several other Harvard MBA colleagues. Now, his early while he was uh, while he was at, at Amazon during his first five years, he had a number of business b- business functions there. He was a marketing manager. He ran the customer relationship management team. He was director of marketing. He 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 wrote the business plan for Amazon's music business and he led that unit as general manager for a while all in the in the first 5 years. Now he and Bezos got along really really well. They spent a lot of time together. Bezos tapped him as a role for technical assistant and um, and he shadowed Jeff Bezos for 18 months, went to all of his meetings including his one-on-ones. What Bezos uh, was doing, which was really brilliant, and this was back in 2000, let's see, 97, 5, 2002, 2001, 2002, uh, what he was doing, he, he brought in an outsider to help manage Amazon, and the guy lasted a year, and he said, to heck with that, I want to develop my own internal staff of executives who can take over, so he created this technical assistant role, and uh, so... Early in uh, Jassy's career, Bezos tapped him as a guy, as a go-to guy. And he followed Bezos around for 18 months, attended all of his meetings, and really understood how Jeff Bezos operated. Now, in the early 2000s, this was about the time that he was technical assistant to Bezos, Amazon started providing commerce, te- e-commerce technology to Target and other third-party retailers. And they started uh, you know they started, uh, you know they they started this really. It wasn't a business unit officially. they just started providing this service. and uh, and they realized that the, the the people at Amazon realized they had to decouple of many of the components of their platform so that outsiders could have access to it, and they had to create application programming interfaces. so people from outside of the organization could lock into the software on their servers. And, uh, and 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 get it to do things. and they would communicate through apis, application programming interfaces. So Amazon started uh, developing these apis for target. Then what they realized was that actually they should use APIs themselves for internal internal product development because every time a new uh, Amazon would get a new product, all the, the the team they'd have to worry about, you know, uh, you know, getting computer resources, getting memory resources, they would have to configure the whole infrastructure to support the new application. And they said, look, if we had APIs, we could have infrastructure in one place, and all of these product development teams could access the infrastructure, the memory, the computers, the CPUs. Uh, they could they could access that through APIs and we could we could ac- accelerate our development process. So they started, Communicating through APIs, through hardened, documented APIs, and uh, and they said, look, uh, when they started doing this infrastructure development to support their own internal team, and and to support Target and 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 a couple of other large sellers, they said, look, there there's actually a need for infrastructure service for business. So in 2003, uh, Andrew Jaffe and Jeff Bezos came up with the idea of application web services in 2003. They said, we should make this a business, and we should sell these infrastructure services. They launched Amazon Web Services in 2006. Now, Jaffe headed AWS with a team of 57 people. Now, he was obsessed with the customer experience. And so why he was so perfect for this job is that he br- brought this customer focus to the forefront and then he was able to marshal all these technical developers to create products that were customer-centric. He just drove that. He was always asking his team, let's innovate so that we can provide more services to our customers at a lower price, and let's innovate at a very fast fast pace. They were competing with the likes of IBM and Oracle, and these companies were big enterprise players, and their goal was to make things really, to to lock up the customer so the customer couldn't move, and to get them locked in with a lot of proprietary interfaces. And and he said, "Uh, we're not going to do that. Now, what they did in the beginning, which was so clever, instead of going after the big enterprise people, the you know, like Netflix and Coca-Cola and Condi Nast and Intuit, instead of going on out for the enterprise customers, so that's what the conventional cloud providers were doing. They said, let's focus on these startups. There are a lot of startups now that are trying to get started, and and we will make Amazon Web Services Really easy to use for these startups. We'll make it cost effective so they can scale as they grow, and so they started doing that, and they built a huge base of satisfying satisfied customers. Now, for the last four years, they've been focusing on the enterprises. They uh, they so now and. You know, And now they're getting the big players to switch over to Amazon Web Services. Now they've got Netflix, they've got Coca-Cola, they've got Condé Nast, they've got Major League Baseball, Intuit and Splunk. And big companies are moving over because it's just cost effective. Now, this is how they do their development. and 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 I, and I think it's because you have a guy here who's got an MBA. I mean, he's not a computer science guy. He actually looks at how useful is the product that's the first question he asks before you get into the details of how you develop it so they have a method for developing products at Amazon they call it working backwards the first thing they do the product team writes a press release for what they're going to develop and they try to convince people that it's that it's a worthwhile product through the press release and and the the, the the process of going through and writing that press release helps them really to hone down on what the customer would like and what the customer would buy. And they might go through three or four or five revisions of the press release before they do anything. Then the second thing they wrote is a frequently asked questions. You know, if you've got a, a software developer, you've got FAQs where you, you you tell your user how you use it. So they write the FAQ document. Before they've developed the product, they got the press release and they've got the FAQ document written, which explains how it works, how you interface with it, answers questions of future customers. Now, he is convinced, Andrew Jassy is convinced that this kind of backward, working backwards process for projects is extremely good because by the time they start writing code, everybody on the team understands what they're building. And they've done all the thought up front. They had to have concise communication. All team members have a clear understanding of what they're building. And and then what happens is that he doesn't have to micromanage the development teams. they got clear vision. Now, he sits down with them whenever they have issues, but they run it. He empowers them to create the product, and this method of doing it has been incredibly successful, and it has allowed Amazon Web Services to innovate at a pace that the other companies like IBM and Oracle can't compete with. Now, for instance, his approach, his leadership style is always, why is the, you know, focused on the customer? So, like, for instance, the most recent product they came out with is kind of an example of that. It's called the API gateway. Now, what they discovered at Amazon is that these APIs enabled them to develop their products quickly. And they thought thought to themselves, well, that's what our customer needs. So they can develop applications quickly. So they created an API gateway to help their customers be more efficient. And this is a tool for creating, publishing, scaling and securing APIs, application programming interfaces. And the idea is to let is to let small players get the same advantages from using APIs as Amazon does. Now Amazon's gateway, API Gateway is a prime example of how AWS under Jassy's leadership isn't just selling technology they're selling a way for new businesses to consume technology. Now, every Wednesday, Jassy holds a meeting with AWS managers. They spend two hours at this meeting. It's a grueling meeting. If your particular operational unit is not performing, you expect some really tough questions. And Jassy has almost a photographic memory. And he remembers what you said last year, what you said six months ago, and he holds you accountable. That two-hour meeting where they go through all the operational performance data of AWS is followed by a business review meeting where, where they look at the business. Now, it's no picnic for the AWS leaders who are not performing. I mean, it's, it's tense. Now, in order to take the edge off, now this is kind of fun, at each Wednesday meeting, everyone enters a contest to see who can wear the ugliest shirt. So there, uh, you know, and Jassy said there are some really ugly shirts at this meeting, yeah. and everybody shows up with the ugliest shirt they can find. And each Wednesday they award a, tro- a trophy, and people are really proud to get the ugly shirt trophy. I'm thinking, Jim, uh, I think the ugly shirt contest might apply to to radio in some cases. Oh, you know? it
1: does every day in many radio stations. I can assure you.
2: That's, that's what I'm thinking because you know. Behind the mic, who knows what kind of shirt you have. And sometimes this, it's a
1: no-shirt policy.
2: That, that could be. Uh, so <clears throat> people who uh, they, people have been asked, well, what is it like working for Jassy? I mean, he's an MBA. He's never written a line of code. They said the thing they like about him is that he hones in on the objectives, and he asks really tough questions, and he makes you explain exactly how you're going to do this technical Task, and and you can't say things like, "Well, we can't get it done in two years." You got to be really specific, and he just gets into the details, and he's very good at that. And so the technical people actually like him because he he has clear cut objectives, and they're not just spinning their wheels. Now in twenty in April of twenty sixteen, it was uh, Jassy was doing so well with Amazon Web Services, he was pr- promoted to see the vice president. He was promoted from vice president of amazon web services to ceo of amazon web services now get this this is where the uh, where the rubber hits the road <laughs> amazon web services closed 2020 with 13.5 billion dollars in operating profits that's not revenue that's profits 13, 13.5 billion in operating profits that was 63% of amazon's total profit And that's just one business unit. Mm. It has been enormously successful for Amazon. 63% of their profits are coming from Amazon Web Services. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. Now, uh, and Jeff Bezos lets uh, Jaffe just run Amazon Web Services because he's doing so well. On February 2nd, 2021, and this is why we're, we're talking about Jaffe today. That's just four days ago. Jeff Bezos announced that Jaffe would succeed him as CEO of Amazon in the third quarter of 2021, and Bezos is going to transition to executive chairman. Now, that doesn't mean Bezos is actually pulling out. He wants to work on new innovative projects. He thinks if you don't innovate, you'll go out of business. He wants to work on his pet projects like uh, like his space like his rocket, his space company, Blue Horizon. He wants to work on the Washington Post project. He has a lot of other side projects. And this will allow, allow him to get out of the day to day operation of Amazon and focus on the future. Now, in 1997, Jassy married Alana Rochelle Kaplan. She's a fashion designer for Eddie Bauer, and she's a uh, graduate of the Philadelphia College of Textiles. Now, they live in the capital neighborhood of Seattle, as of November 2020, Jassy's estimated net worth is $377 million. So there you go. All you want to know about Andrew R. Jassy, the man who's going to replace Jeff Bezos as CEO of Amazon.
1: Hope you're paying attention because your chance to turn knowledge into food is coming up when we play the Pop Quiz. This is Saturday morning, and it's Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, and southwest of Washington now on 1077 FM HD 2. In Loudoun County, check us out on 104.5 FM. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu.
3: Featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Dr. Richard Church
2: Oh yes, thank you, thank you. Thank you for that great uh, applause. They're quietly sitting down. The classroom of the Airways. This yep. is not just a radio show, yep. and we have to test whether... You've been listening and learning, and we do that with a pop quiz. If you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get two tickets to fine dining which our uh, dining rooms open up after the pandemic, and you'll also get an A-plus for today's show. Earlier in the show, I talked about Andrew Jassy. He is the CEO of Amazon Web Services and soon-to-be CEO of Amazon. Now, every Wednesday, he has a management meeting, and he has a business meeting, and these are tough meetings for people. He, put, he puts pressure on his team. But in order to lighten things up, they have a contest. What contest does he have every Wednesday meeting?
3: If you know the answer to today's question, hurry, run to the phone, give us a call. Dialing from West of the Rockies, 877-936-9333. If you're recalibrating your snow gauge east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, 877-936-9333. If you're trying to figure out which Eddie Bauer parka to wear today in Canada, call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the international line. It's sanitized hourly using Neutrogena with aloe, so it remains soft and supple. 877-936-39333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Church. Well, thank you. Let's go to
2: the tip <laughs> of the week how to check your router to see if it has been hacked. Yes. Now, hackers are busy, uh, you know, attacking routers all around the world. Your router could be one of the unlucky devices that's been hacked already. And the good news is you can uh, find out easily whether that's the case. Now, the vulnerability in some routers' firmware code allows hackers to change some of the router's critical settings. For example, they could alter the domain name server, DNS, and that would enable them to instruct your router to send your internet request to a malware-infested server and, a, and perhaps a fake website. If that happens, it could result in malware being downloaded to your computer or mobile devices or having your identity or online accounts compromised. And um, you know it, it does happen, especially if you do not update the firmware in your router. F-Secure has created a handy tool for checking your router to make certain that it has not been hacked. All you do, you just visit to the Router Checker page on the F-Secure website. Now you can just, uh, I'm gonna give a link which we'll post on Monday, but you could probably Google F-Secure Router Checker, and it'll take you right to that page. Now what you do, you bring up that page, and down at the bottom, there's uh, there's a blue Check Your Router button at the bottom. Click on that, after you click on it, I mean, it takes um, you know, takes uh, I mean, it took. I did it this morning. It took about five seconds. The entire it, uh, the, and then they display the results on your screen. And they'll tell you whether your router has been, has been hacked or not. Mine wasn't, fortunately. I got I got a good test this morning. Good. Now, if it, if it if it detects an issue, you can check with your ISP to determine what the real settings should be, what your real DNS settings should be, and you you can reset them. You can go into the router and you can reset them and i would suggest you update the firmware in your router Uh, you know sometimes you get really these old routers from the isp especially people that are renting their router on a monthly rate the isp never upgrades them so um what i do I, i don't rent my router from my isp because well it's you know it's easier just to buy one and then i i control it so i buy my router and then i register it with the isp then that way I control my router. I control the firmware updates, and I don't have any issues. Um, And so you want to make certain that you've got a a new router and always keep the firmware updated. That's a tip of the week.
1: All right, we don't have an answer yet or a winner yet. Why don't you give the question again before we move on to another
2: topic? Earlier I talked about Andrew Jassy. He, of course, is the CEO of Amazon Web Services. And he has a Wednesday meeting, and every Wednesday – meeting he just grills his employees but in order to make the meeting more fun and to take the edge off of it, they have a contest every weekend what is that contest all
1: right and mr big voice has to put the camel down and give us the phone number
3: 877-936-9333 well done
2: okay let's let's talk about this a former adt employee spied on customers now you know that's the home security system uh, they um, they actually have um, you know they've got webcams as part of their security package, and he hacked the surveillance feeds of dozens of customers' homes, doing so primarily to apparently to spy on women, because we're unsuspecting couples. Now, Teleforo Aviles pleaded guilty to uh, a count of computer fraud in the federal courts, and he confessed that he inappropriately accessed the accounts of customers over 9,600 times over the course of seven years. He did this to 200 customers. Authorities say that took note that the homes always had an attractive woman. Uh, So uh, the advice is make certain that your ADT webcams are properly secured, and I would be mindful of where those webcams are located.
1: Gotcha. Uh, let's uh, again we don't I don't think we have a winner yet. We do? Okay, we don't have to, uh, we're going we're going to take a break, doc. We'll come back and we'll play the pop quiz. This is Tech Talk Radio. It is Saturday morning on Federal News Network. 1500 a.m. 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, Southwest of DC, 1077 FM HD2 and in Loudoun County at uh, 104.5 FM. Be right back.
0: If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Shirts of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio.
1: from...
2: Very dangerous. Today, we're going to reflect on the management style of Andrew Jassy. Yeah. Now, I talked earlier. He had this uh, process of working backwards. It required his team to realize, release the press release and then do the FAQ. Now, what is interesting and why I started reflecting on this is that is that uh, Andrew Jassy is a lot like Steve Jobs. Neither one of them. Neither one had ever... Uh, written a line of code, and they were both focused like a laser beam on the customer experience. And they drove the technical developers and the technical team to meet the needs of the customers. So they were very similar in their basic approach. Uh, Steve Jobs uh, was a perfectionist. He required the highest quality. He did not want to compromise on anything. Uh, Jassy also believes that technical people like to make technical things complicated. And if you let these technical guys go on, they keep adding more and more bells and whistles, and it becomes more complex as time goes on. And he said, simplicity is the key. And look at Steve Jobs. Simplicity is key. He wants to eliminate as many distractions for the user. He wants to keep the interface simple for the user. And so what Jassy did at Amazon Web Services, they built flexible building blocks that you could just stitch together. And they were very easy to use, very easy to understand, very easier to combine to achieve a particular objective. So in, In Andrew Jassy's case, the customer is really the developers at the companies that are using uh, Amazon Web Services, and he wanted to make that interface very simple. And and he just focused on that relentlessly. Now, Andy was not a micromanager. Now, he did inject himself in the review process and the design process, just like Steve Jobs did. But Steve Jobs let people write their code, But when it came to critical issues of how it interacted with the customer, he was extremely in there. And uh, the other thing about Jaffe, he empowers teams to get things done. He gives them clear guidance and empowers them to do the job. I think he's a great manager, and um, it's the perfect combination of business acumen and technical savvy. I think he'll be a great leader for Amazon.
1: Okay. We actually have somebody who would like to play the contest. We're going to go now to line two. Thomas is going to be on line two when I activate it here. And there he is. Thomas, are you there? I'm there. Okay. Dr. Scherz, please ask me. Earlier in the show,
2: I talked about Andrew Jassy, the current CEO of Amazon Web Services. At his Wednesday meetings, to take the edge off of it, what contest do they conduct every Wednesday?
3: I'd be sure to contest.
1: Excellent. Very good, Thomas. Good job. Thanks for checking in this Saturday morning. Thanks for playing the game. And uh, we will talk to you down the road. Uh, I think Andrew has your information, so we're just going to let you go here. Thank you for calling, Colin Thomas. All right, Doc, if you would just continue on here. We're just going to take it to the top of the hour now.
2: Okay, let's talk about Starlink. This is the high speed internet access system which is being developed by SpaceX using. A cluster of satellites. Now, we know SpaceX has been a major player in, in space exploration with their collaboration with several projects, on several projects with NASA, but they are really working to make a high-speed internet available to everyone over the entire Earth. Now, SpaceX's Starlink network will have thousands of internet relaying satellites that will be capable of providing super-fast, low-latency broadband internet to virtually any point on the surface of the Earth. Now, according to SpaceX, they should be able to provide download speeds of one gigabit per second. That's amazing. If you look at the, at the current satellite internet providers like HughesNet or, or uh, Viacom, it's like 25 megabits per second. I mean, it's really slow. This is one gigabit per second. And now because these are low-Earth-orbiting satellites and not geosynchronous satellites, the latency is very low. That's the delay between when you send a signal and get a response back, and it's because of the transit time from Earth to satellite and back. The latency, because these are lower satellites, is extremely low, and it rivals anything that we can get on Earth, just with regular terrestrial Internet. Now that one gigabit speed I mean that's actually five times faster than what most people have at home. With 200 megabits per second, if you got a fiber optic connection, you typically would get. That's what I have with my Verizon connection at home. I got a fiber connection, 200 megabits per second download, maybe 100 megabits upload. This is five times faster than that, and it's by and it is uh, by satellite. Now, SpaceX currently has 650 Starlink satellites launched into space. And they're they're building a, an additional 120 satellites a month, so they'll be launching around they'll be launching around 120 satellites a month a month into space, and they'll eventually, when they get the full constellation up, be able to have high-speed internet to cover the entire Earth. Now, what is happening that's interesting? is, this, you know, because there are a lot of internet service providers in the rural areas that provide these terrible connection speeds, and they get subsidized by the government to provide internet in the rural areas. Well, it turns out that that uh, Starlink is getting subsidies from those same royal uh, from the same um, programs that uh, that want to get internet access in the uh, in the rural areas. And Starlink is out pro- out producing everybody. So these guys are suing the government not to support Starlink because it's just not rural, It's everyone. But actually, Starlink is going to change the way internet is priced. Once Starlink is available to everyone, internet service providers like Verizon, like AT&T, are going to have to lower the cost of internet. They're going to have to provide higher bandwidth to the home. Rural internet providers are going to have to totally change their game or just get out of the business. So this is going to force real competition, and it's going to change the landscape globally for the internet. I'm really excited about Starlink. I can't wait till they till they're launched, and I'll be one of their first customers once they've got enough bandwidth available in the U.S. Let's talk about Main Street versus Wall Street. That is one of the big uh, stories last week. This, of course, the, some people from Reddit, from the um, uh, they were they were, they were uh, there was a, a discussion group on on a, a subreddit on Reddit called Wall Street Bets. They were pushing a couple of stocks that the uh, short sellers uh, had shorted, uh, GameStop and AMC Theaters, and they drove these stocks through the roof, and these short sellers and hedge funds uh, just lost a huge amount of money. So now, <clears throat> the update is that. Uh, People from Wall Street Bits on Reddit are still pushing these two stocks, and uh, but uh, it it turned out that last week uh, Robinhood, which was the trading platform, limited the number of shares that they could trade on GameStop and AMC Entertainment, and so the stocks began to to drop in value because there wasn't as much action from the Reddit crew. Uh, now Game's now uh, Robinhood is allowing these traders free unfettered access to trade as many of the stocks as they like. And so the stock dropped. They they both dropped about 50%, but now they stopped dropping and these guys may drive them back up again. It's it's an interesting thing, but the the fundamentals on AMC Theater and on uh, GameStop are really not that good. Long-term, I don't think they can make it, but these Reddit guys are able to manipulate the market to the point that the the short sellers don't really know how to short stock anymore because they may lose money if the people at Reddit find out. So this is a case where the small guy is outsmarting the big guy and it's just fun, fun, fun to watch. Now Apple is going to launch a big change in privacy. And this has this has uh, Facebook up in arms. Now the next version of its iPhone and iPad operating system will force app developers to ask permission to access the phone's unique identifier. I mean, if you've ever wondered how these guys track you around the internet with your cell phone, it's because they have access to that unique identifier. And when you do something on your cell phone, they look up that identifier and they know, Hey, it's your cell phone and they can track you everywhere. And they actually have permission to use that unique phone identifier without even asking you. So the latest version is going to, going to be a pop-up screen is going to say, do you want Facebook, for instance, to have access to your phone's unique identifier? Now, now the companies that depend on using your data for their own purposes uh, are really critical of this. So they say, hey, wait a minute here. This is not good. This is bad for the customer, especially Facebook. Facebook is, is thinking they're going to sue, talking about suing uh, suing Amazon, or suing uh, Apple over this, because they think that uh, most people are going to deny use of that unique identifier, and it's going to dramatically alter how much money they can make from advertising. Now, Facebook says, wait a minute here, this will hurt the availability of free content on the open web and the ability of small businesses to place personalized ads. Um, I don't think that's true. I mean, if they don't have a unique identifier, you'll just see an ad. Uh, uh, It's just that they won't know that you're there. They won't track you. Now, Mark Zuckerberg slammed the change, calling Apple one of his biggest competitors and claiming that this change threatens the personalized ads of millions of small businesses who rely on it to find customers what a bunch of bull. I mean, it's it's Facebook's business model to use your data. According mm-hmm. to Tom Tim Cook, if a, business is, if a business is built on misleading users, on data explorations, then there's no choice at all. They do not deserve to be in business. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. And go to www.stratford.edu. Check out all the programs there and tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio.
0: Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.